Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz Live from our Barangaroo studios. You've tuned in to the call 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to two experts. We do it in one hour. Um, now, a quick reminder if commodity stocks are something you follow, you might want to check out an investor event we have got coming up very soon. Market Intelligence is presented by the team at, from ACY Securities. It's a deep dive into mining stock strategies for 2025. Uh, they'll be looking at the fundamental and technical indicators across a range of commodities, including lithium, gold, iron ore, uranium, plus emerging opportunities in specific stocks. And if that's not enough, a limited number of Osbiz subscribers will have the chance to attend the event live in our studios here at Brangaroo. So you can get more information and register at osbiz.co slash intel. All right, uh, let's get stuck into the call. And joining me now on the panel, Michael Wayne from Medanian Financial, Nathan Somersandaram from Deep Data Analytics. Gents, it's now just over half an hour since the inflation figure came out. Nathan, what's your take? Well, I mean, apart from Stevie Wonder, just about everyone else would have seen this coming. Uh, We've seen prices go up everywhere since July, um, and we've had energy prices go up. Um, It shouldn't be a surprise. And we've already had um, Katie Gallagher warn you that potentially inflation is going to be hotter. And uh, new um, chair of RBA has been flagging that inflation might be hotter and they might have to act. All Mm. of these were preparing the market for a hotter number, and it was a hotter number. Okay, let's see how the markets react. And first of the share market, um, if you look at, uh, guess when that inflation figure was announced? <laughs> uh, yep, 11.30. That's the uh, the drop. Um, so fell off a um, oh, bit of a cliff, but uh, uh, pretty sharp. Let's go the Australian dollar. And uh, it went the opposite direction. Um, looks as though just before 11, um, a bit of information may have sneaked out to the market by the look of that, does it? Um, it never happens. Never, you know. oh, yes, Nathan, I know that. No one <laughs> talks. Um, but the dollar up. So markets, both equities and, uh, and currency markets, expecting a rate increase as a result of this. Michael, the magic number out of this was 1%, wasn't it? Yeah, that if, was expectations. If, if the September CPI came in at 1% or below continue to pause. If it comes 1% or above, another rate hike in the offering, it came at 1.2. So all bets are off. It looks like that way. Um, And unfortunately, basically, according to the RBA's own numbers, for every 1% interest rate increase, the impact on inflation is a lot less than many people think. Right. It's between sort of negative 0.1 to negative 0.3. So we've had about four. Is that because it's a sledgehammer for borrowers, but, but borrowers aren't a massive part that's right of the population there's still a huge amount of the population that you know benefit in many ways from the higher yeah. rates so this is the problem the rba has really got an ineffective tool to deal with inflation uh, many people are expecting inflation to be a lot lower in fy24 they're expecting interest rates to be a lot lower than they're now expecting in fy24 so the market in many ways and economists and just general expectations have been constantly catching up to where we're currently at. So it appears that inflation is a lot stickier than many people were expecting. And it probably means interest rates are going to have to be a lot higher than many people were expecting initially. So so you reckon more than one more increase? I think that's probably likely um, okay. at this stage. I mean, we've had a couple of months in a row, if not a few months in a row now, where inflation's started to tick back up again. Um, so I think it's very hmm. possible. I mean, I'm not an economist. Okay. I find it's very hard to predict the macro. But we've certainly had portfolios positioned for inflation being stickier um, and interest rates being higher for longer. 
Okay. Uh, so we thought the market was probably a bit too optimistic, and that seems to be playing out at the moment. So, Nathan, how, how many more increases do you think there will be? Because September quarter was always going to be tricky, and I've talked about uh, this before, because you had lots of big corporates putting up their prices because of inflation from July 1. You had all those state and federal government charges that go up automatically every year with inflation. So if there was going to be a quarter that sort of outdid itself on the upside in terms of inflation, September was going to be it. Yeah, it was always going to be a step change there. Um, And I think that the bigger worry is what's happening in uh, uh, the monthly CPI indicator because we're getting more, um, I guess, shorter period uh, measure that's telling you how yep. it's moving. And that actually has now gone up two months in a row. And this was up and it beat expectations. So it's a decent pop um, and it will worry RBA. Um, the, the bigger problem for me is if you look at the energy prices, um, if you look at 12 months ago to where we are now, uh, we are cycling like for like around September. And then when you get to October onwards, the energy price, especially oil price, was much lower than where we are now. So we're going to go into the next, uh, I suppose, the next three to six months where potentially energy prices might stay here or go higher. Right. And that means energy prices are going to be a booster for inflation. So we are going into that cycle. We're going to be cycling lower prices. Because they're global. That's a global influence with the Northern Hemisphere going into winter. Okay. And, you know, the problem here is we all know it's a sledgehammer. We all know in Australia, because of the demographic, how the cycle plays out, it, it will be stickier. Right. And we, in, I told you this at the end of 2020. I said, inflation's starting to move and central banks are going to get it wrong. I have never changed my mind because they're just getting it wrong. And the problem here is you had to move early and you had to hold a consistent narrative and they didn't do either one. Okay. The other thing is also the banks um, actually haven't passed on all the interest rate increases. So the banks often get nailed on the way down for not passing on the full rates. But this time around, although there's been 4% of interest rate increases, I think the average banks passed on about 3.3%. Right. Um, That's having the effect of not passing through the full RBA sledgehammer. So... I mean, whether it's out of the kindness of the bank's heart or competition in the mortgage market, that's the reason. But their full well, effect if, hasn't if been you, passed on. If you give me a choice between yeah. those two, I will go competition <laughs> rather than banks having a heart. But just on that, okay, if, you, if we get another two interest rate increases, who are the big casualties on the market sector-wise and who are the winners? Well, I think, that, you know, you're going to obvious... Um, turn to the growth stocks as being hammered. I think yep. small cap growth stocks with no earnings, no dividends, that's probably the, the part of the market that continues to suffer, has Re- been suffering for a REITs while. REITs will continue to suffer I think because REITs of high will continue gearing. to suffer. I think eventually, you know, pressure will go on the consumer discretionary space right. um, as well. The beneficiaries, I think you still got to look at, you know, energy and some commodities will probably right. be some of the beneficiaries there. Okay. But there won't be too many that, that sort yep. of brush this off too easily. And that's why we're a little bit nervous on the direction of the market from here. But you can always be surprised on the upside. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, for you, winners and losers? Yeah, look, I mean, the losers, you can pretty much say over the last few years at retail, property, um, yeah, I mean, the media sector, all of this will be cyclicals will be under pressure, as Michael said. Uh, I think the winners, insurance sector tends to do well. Mm. Uh, there's some weird ones out there like computer share benefit from higher yield. Um, so those kind of stocks will hold up quite well. I think Telstra looks pretty good here, defensive yield. And Woolies, you know, all said and done, um, you've got to go to the supermarket and they know how to take money off you. So those supermarkets will hold up. I think there's probably a bit expensive at the moment, but they'll hold up. So those kind okay. of stocks will do well. Other inflation plays like, uh, you know, gold um, and energy, they tend to do well in this kind of inflationary environment. Okay. All right. Let's move on to individual stocks now. And speaking of energy stocks, um, in the first half out, Coronado, Stanmore, two coal stocks up for adjudication, Data3, Ansel, and Australian Clinical Labs. Uh, stock of the day, I thought we'd take a look at Kogan, consumer discretionary, uh, retail and services company posted um, quarterly gross sales just shy of $200 million, down 6.5% year on year. Gross profit up 19.5% from last year, ne- nearly $40 million. Uh, Russell Kogan, chief executive, the boss, said that the company is going to introduce deals in the coming months 
to make their products and services more accessible to consumers dealing with cost of living challenges. Okay, not sure what that's all about, but they're focusing on that. Michael, what did you think of this? Sales down, margins up by the look of it. Um, what do you think of Kogan at the moment? I haven't looked at it for a while until this morning in today's update. Um, the business, by all accounts, has been going through a period of, of consolidation, uh, whatever, whatever that means. Um, but basically, they've just been trying to restructure the way they do business, try and work through a lot of the inventory that they had um, on, their, on their books already. Um, but I think it's a little bit of a, it's not a coincidence, put it this way, that they've managed to deliver the first quarterly growth number or quarter on quarter growth number um, in a couple of years. And I think inflation has something probably to do with that, where they're yeah. able to pass on higher prices yep. to consumers and that helps boost their revenue. And off the back of that, their earnings have done well as well because margins are higher. So so they've been feeding in so to the inflation period. Yeah, I, look, it's... I think so, potentially. Yeah. I, I don't know for sure, I don't follow it closely enough, but it's a difficult environment you'd have to think coming up for retail. Perhaps Kogan will be a beneficiary of that as people move away from some of those bigger ticket items or those more expensive high-end brands. Um, but otherwise, I still think it's gonna be a bit of a, a challenging environment. Kogan has been doing a, a big share buyback and that's probably helped the share price to some degree as well. Right. Um, but it's a long, long way as you can see from those heady days um, the management have been called into question previously in the past, particularly when things have been going well in lightening the load and reducing their exposure. Um, but again, I just don't see it as the highest quality retailer. If I was looking at an online retailer, maybe Setai is probably preferred. But right. again, we're not really exposed much at all to okay. this retail space. So no view. Maven? Um, I think that's the great way for Michael to say management is uh, <laughs> issues. Um, yeah, on the first bore, you know, tick, you look at management track record and you go, ah, no, not going right. there. Um, so Kogan is, I think retail is going to be tough. Retail has actually pulled back. Um, there are some, uh, the high quality ones actually outperformed, like super retail, as we've done really well. Some have had actually a decent bounce uh, on the result because the expectations were so low. Um, but I think um, Michael's right. I think the cycle we're going into is we can already see consumer spending shrinking because of inflation starting to buy high interest rates um, starting to buy that always takes time and we had a, a fair amount of savings we burned through that um, so we're beginning to see consumer spending i think christmas uh, is going to be tough for consumers and retail and that tends to play into media as well so we're worried about all this uh, domestic consumer-based cyclicals um, so i would be staying away um, right. if you're trying to pick in retail there's high quality retail and then there's the rest, and this is in the rest. Okay. No need to be there. All right. Um, so uh, you're saying Christmas could be tough. Um, today's inflation figure, is that the end of any chance of a Santa rally on the share market? Oh, hey, look, <laughs> we, there's always something, right? Uh, you know, in the last nine months, I think there's been at least nine China optimism stories that never actually played out. Right. We've got one going right now. Um, so in, in that context, you can never discount the market's ability to jump from one hope to another. Um, so, uh, you know, Santa Rally, we could have a Santa Rally at the end of December. We could have it in just in December. So never right. discount that. Seasonality amazes me all the time. Uh, but overall, if I'm looking at six to 12 months down the track, I think you're going to get most retail stocks cheaper uh, in the next okay. six to 12 months than where it is now. Michael, any Santa rally for you? Look, it's possible, depending on what happens in the US or China, as Nathan touches upon. I mean, the US inflation picture looks a lot healthier than the Australian inflation picture. Yeah. Um, they've still got very elevated shelter costs, which are starting to come down, but really from very high. So there's still a lot to come out in the US um, in terms of the inflation. Right. Um, so you might get this fragmented market situation, but it's also important to understand that historically, during inflationary times, the market tends to do quite well in absolute terms. It's just that once you look at it in real terms and account for that six, 7% right. inflation, your real returns aren't so good. So it is possible if inflation stabilizes at four or 5%, then markets can do all right in that environment. I think we just have to see inflation not continue to rise yeah. and creep back up. Stabilize. Yeah. All right, let's get into the stocks that you want us to take a look Actually, at. Just, just, uh, a, yeah, just a quick one. Yep. Um, just on that monthly CPI, if you look at it pre-pandemic to now, the you know if you use the basket of the uh, CPI, 
prices, I mean, forget the inflation number, actual prices, according to that basket, are up about 15% oh. since December 2019, 15%. So most people experience that a lot more. So the average person hasn't got, hasn't had fifteen percent pay rise in that couple of years. No. So that's well, the problem. So that's yeah, yeah. why you've got to be Hang really on. careful. With Hang on. And everyone uh, talks about pay rises. Uh, Jim Chalmers talks about pay rises. Yep. The old Oprah. You could get a pay rise. You can get a pay rise. What he what he doesn't talk about is that you don't get all of that amount coming through. <laughs> he takes an increasing amount through bracket creep and tax. That's one of the reasons why the federal budget is in surplus because we are paying a record amount of personal income tax at the moment. So you might get eight, nine percent pay rise, but you're only going to get four or five percent of that uh, because he's going to take the rest in tax. And when the wages go up, and this is what every central bank complained about a year ago, when wages go up, then the prices will have to go up to pay yeah. for it. Oh, and then yeah. you get more inflation. So right. it's, it's an endless yeah, loop. Yeah. Uh, which Michelle Bullock, I think, was sort of, uh, and Katie Gallagher was challenging the federal government, hey, don't leave all the heavy lifting to us in terms of inflation. You do your bit. Why don't you freeze government charges and no increases and things like that? Um, and share a bit of the pain as well as the rest of us. All right, let's get into uh, the first two stocks. A couple of coal stocks, metallurgical uh, coal stocks, um, which is the coal that feeds into uh, steel plants rather than generates electricity. Uh, Clifford wants a view on Coronado Global Resources. And let's bracket them because we, we talked a fair bit about inflation in this first half hour, so catch up. Um, and Rosario wants a view on Stanmore Resources, Nathan. Um, Coronado um, had uh, Queensland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and uh, Stanmore mainly in the Bowen Basin and Surat Basins of Queensland. Uh, look, um, if the market is paying for baseload energy, and the top three commodities over the last three months has been coal, oil, and uranium. And then you get gold. So the baseload energy is the top three. All yep. the EV commodities are at the bottom end of the spectrum. So in that context, the sector is in play. Now, the other part of it is obviously this feeds into steel. So you've got to look at the steel side of things. Uh, we had the Chinese steel industry profits um, were down, I think it's about 20, 30%. Um, it came out yesterday. So the steel sector is doing um, not so great. And you can see the steel ETF rolling over quite a bit. It's actually leading the iron ore. So in that, that's rolling over. So the sector is not doing well. They're, and China came out and warned that the demand for steel is weaker despite the seasonal weakness. So, um, so that outlook is pretty weak. So you've got to be careful here. So I, I mean, we like the sector. Uh, we're actually playing oil predominantly, even in um, in the uh, Osbis fantasy portfolio, we have oil and uranium exposure. Um, but coal is fine. But I think you've got to be careful. Yeah, but this, in this is steel coal, not, in, in, not even power in, coal. That's right. So even in that scenario, we've got steel coming off. Yeah. Iron ore is holding up on speculation, but the actual steel industry is struggling. So in that context, I don't think the demand is going to suddenly pick up. So if you're going to play it, I'd rather play it with the big guys. And with, uh, with the M&A that's played out through with Whitehaven, that's holding up quite well. New Hope's come back. That looks quite interesting. So I prefer the bigger guys. They've got a fair amount of cash. I mean, these guys used to be dead loaded beasts. Now they're actually doing quite well. So I think, you know, you play the big guys. I'm a bit careful stepping outside the big guys. So okay. you've got to be very selective here. So I'm not playing that small category at the moment. Okay, so you, you uh, a no to Coronado and Stanmore, you prefer the thermal coal producers rather than the met coal producers, all right? That's sure. Uh, Michael? Yeah, just to echo uh, Nathan, basically, it's a very tough environment, we think, for steel at the moment, particularly with what's going on around the world and the potential for a slowing economy globally. Um, Coronado does have a very high quality assets. They did purchase a mine off West Farms going back a few years. Um, but there are some questions around the quality of management relative to some of the other coal plays out there. Um, I think probably Whitehaven's the easiest way to play the coal space if you want that exposure. Um, Stanmore's been performing very well, some very high quality assets too. Um, but 
we're just not that optimistic on either thermal coal or metallurgical coal at okay. the moment. So, oh, so you're you're not keen on either. Well, the problem with with thermal coal is you've got probably decade, fifteen years, twenty years to really maximise uh, your business. So you've yep. got mine life's a pretty short. There's not a lot of new supply coming on, but you need to extract as much cash from your business as quickly as possible to maximise your advantage before the industry's, you know, the industry purportedly will come to an end. Whether or not that all happens remains to be seen, but all that environmental pressure might begin to weigh eventually. So you want to go for the quality businesses with quality assets that are producing and maximising free cash flow now. And that's why we would steer clear of some of these smaller ones and focus on a, a okay. white haven. But we missed the coal right on the way up and we've missed it, all the pain on the way down, fortunately. So. Yeah. Okay, so take your profits on uh, on Stanmore. It's mm-hmm. at a five-year high at the moment. Had, had a good run. Um, all right, uh, next stock. Erin uh, wants to view Michael on Data Three, the um, the tech business, tech solutions. Yeah, so basically they've got a, a series of licenses to different tech products. Um, very good quality balance sheet. Um, very low margins, but good quality. Customers, I think about 60% of their customers are from the government sector and large corporations. A lot of their revenue is recurring in nature. They don't really have to hold a lot of stock at all in warehouses or whatnot. They only kind of place the orders and provide the codes, etc., for these different licensed products. When the order goes through, they've got no no borrowings. They can have consistently, you know, good dividend growth, earnings growth, revenue growth. Um, so it's not a, a bad quality business, but I just don't see where the exciting growth comes from in the future. They'll continue to grow as technology demand across the population and, and the business environment grows. Um, but aside from that, it's just going to tick along. And so that's not a bad thing in businesses sometimes, just to be a steady, stable mm. performer. Um, so I'm happy to go hold on it, but I don't think it's going to start to, to shoot the lights out. As you can see there, it's been a grinder for some time, yeah. but at least it's been grinding in the right direction. Um, they had a slight miss on earnings recently, yeah. um, but revenue still revenue growth all right towards that ten. Compared to mark. a lot of other tech businesses, that's right. Doing right. I mean, it's, it gets glumped as a tech business, but really, it's just a, a reseller of different tech products. Right. And many of the tech products that you have to use sort of day to day, whether it's a Microsoft license or ah, this. So it's a that. bit like a, a Dicker Data type. Yeah, business. similar. Right, uh, Nathan, Data Three. Yeah, look, it's a it's a high quality business in a not so exciting industry. Um, it's boring industry. The you know it's tough, um, lower margin, but they you know they pull out stuff and keep it going, and and it's done quite well for what it is. Um, I think it's you know it's it's a it's priced like a high growth stock, so you are trading at a decent multiple, so you're probably going to see a bit of a pullback, uh, but that's okay if you're there. Um, you know you've been if you've been there, it's a hold. Uh, but I wouldn't put fresh money in it. I don't see the huge turnaround. I mean, one of the Azure, I mean, you got to look at what Microsoft uh, result overnight. It was actually pretty solid. Cloud growth is strong. Um, so, I mean, that's positive lead. Um, so that should keep it supported. Um, so this is expensive, uh, but it's good in a not so great business. But I think it kind of balances out. Uh, the management actually does quite well. They, they're bad above their weight. Uh, and I think they can hold it together. And I think it's okay in a bad market. It actually is a decent stock. So if you're there, I don't think there's, you know, you're going to need to panic. But the, the the thing is, I don't see the big step move. So in a market like this, the risk is relatively high. You've got a 5% yield. So you want a, a decent return to put fresh money in. So I don't see the risk return here. So I wouldn't be jumping in. But if you're there, it's okay to hold. Okay. All right, Clive wants to view Nathan on Ansel, the uh, big global supplier of uh, uh, protective gloves, bodywear, mainly in the healthcare and industrial business. This has always been a big, steady, reliable industrial company until you actually see the chart with the share price. <laughs> yeah. It's horrible. Um, you know, things are good till it's not. Yeah. Um, and 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 the and the thing about this is um, they, it, it's it's got a historical link to healthcare, obviously, when they used to have the condom business and so forth. But it's now more of a health and safety, so it is literally a manufacturing play. So when you start to think about it that way, it actually makes it quite clear why it's underperformed. Um, it trades with the global PMI. That's pretty much it. 
because it's high quality products. Um, they do have, um, I mean, what I love about them is how they've spread their manufacturing around the world. They manage their inventories quite well. They produce in different places when the costs go up and they get can get their things moving quite quickly. So when things are working, this thing is an absolute monster. Uh, and obviously, we've had post the pandemic bounds, manufacturing globally is in contraction. It has been for a number of years. And that's basically it's where the pain is. I actually think it's probably near the lows. Um, this is my ugly buy. It looks so bombed out, uh, but everyone knows now. Everyone knows that manufacturing globally is in contraction. It looks pretty bad. Um, I mean, German PMIs, uh, European PMIs were, you know, it went from ugly to even uglier. So we know that things are bad. So that's priced in. So for me, the upside is if we start to see some improvement in the manufacturing PMIs around the world then answer will improve because people still want to buy health and safety stuff. They don't want to, you know, lose it for a few extra cents. They don't want to lose a high quality products. So they're less likely to change. So clients tend to be sticky, but it's just that the demand's not there. So I think as the manufacturing cycle recovers, answer will recover. It's one of those ones where I think you're getting near the bottom of the cycle. We've already had a couple of years of uh, manufacturing in the doldrums. So as that recovery cycle comes through somewhere around next year, I'd say the market will front run that. So it's actually one that I'm, I mean, I'm looking for value stocks that are going to recover with the cycle. Ansel is one of them. So it's okay. ugly, but it's an ugly buy. Okay. Ugly buy. If you're in it and you've suffered through it all, you just hold on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, th I think it's not going to go broke anytime soon. Okay. Michael? Uh, if you're an Ansel investor, you're not alone in many ways. It's one of those COVID businesses that exploded throughout that period yep. and has come back a long way since. And yep. you can put Just resume speaking and... for a friend who was a friend who has suffered with this in, yeah. <laughs> in, in their self-managed superannuation fund. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so there's yeah, there's ResMed, Fisher and Paykel. They've had yeah. very similar price charts if you look over yeah. those few years. Frickin' um, CSL. Yes, CSL as, as well. <laughs> Hang on. Um, uh, mate, there was only a couple of months ago you were saying healthcare is the future. It is the future. It's just the timing of what you buy. ResMed was way overpriced, but now the the you know the scare factor is purely the weight loss drug right, yeah, yeah. it's a it's amazing how much that gets priced in i'm, I'm waiting for the last leg uh, there is a massive buying opportunity coming in the healthcare sector okay. in the next couple of months uh, but ansel had a huge supply glut after covid yes. um, and they've been sort of working their way through that at lower prices they operate in the you know, number one or two in every category that they operate in. So they're very high quality business. They've got dominant market position. The business is in a very good shape, balance sheet wise. They redid a restructuring probably close to 10 years ago. Now it's put the business in a lot better position right. and entrenched in a lot of markets. Um, but the problem is during COVID, everyone wants the best quality product and they're happy to pay overs to make sure that there's no slippage and everything like that. All of a sudden a downturn comes, manufacturing struggling. It's harder for the higher quality, higher price product to compete when there's cheaper imitation products out there. Um, but they do have a potential for growth, particularly throughout you know, the Asian region. Um, for instance, the use of surgical gloves or, or industrial gloves, um, you know, you would use the same glove a lot more if you're in Asia at this stage. But over time, as you have high hygiene standards and, and safety standards, the usage sort of increases. Yeah. Yeah. So that is one potential growth area for them. Um, at the moment, it's hard to get overly excited because it's hard to see a turnaround coming imminently with the inflation and interest rate environment that we're in. But it is a good quality business, has pulled back a long way and does look relatively well priced. So I'm not going to give it a buy, but it's definitely on my radar. Right. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily hold it either. This is the problem because it looks like it's what trending. What the hell falling. are you talking about? But at some point, <laughs> if once it settles down, um, I think it's probably worth All looking right, at. All right, so for this friend who's- I'm happy to go. It's been, it's been $20 has been a support level for a long period of time. Right. Um, so I'm happy to give it a hold here, right, but okay. I'll be waiting for it to you know, turn around before I bought before, it. Before the ugly buy call. All right, uh, speaking of um, healthcare and uh, did well in the pandemic, Ian wants a view on Australian uh, clinical labs. Uh, from a growth and income point of view, Michael, um, a massive uh, leading provider of pathology services here in Australia, um, shares the sector with Sonic and, and Helios. 
What yeah. do you think of Australia? So it operates a large volume of, of sensors, but it's nowhere near as successful or as profitable as, say, a Sonic. Yeah. So I think you know, Australian Clinical Labs, Sonic, roughly have the same number of sensors out there. Um, however, Sonic has a much larger proportion of industry earnings than ACL. So it's yeah. not the highest quality business. They did have their moment in the sun around COVID when they came out on just after with one of these fast PCR tests um, that the government was willing to pay you know, anything and everything for. However, that's since subsided as a big growth driver for the company. And for that reason, it's now more aligned on its suboptimal clinical labs business. Right. Um, so I'm going to go a hard sell on this. Okay. Uh, Nathan, is this a classic example that, you know, in particular sectors in this environment, you just go with the leaders, which is not Australian clinical labs, if you're, if you're interested in the sector? Yeah, uh, you know, there's something to be said about that. Uh, I think Claude loves this, um, and he's he called it well on the way up. And and the thing about these things is, um, Mike was right, in, the, in that when the thematic runs out, you've got to be really careful. Um, we did have Sonic in our models, um, and we got out middle of this year um, because we thought the, the it, it is. People tend to think that, uh, you know, these tests are not um, cyclical, but they are. When consumers don't have money, they don't do as many tests. Uh, gee, that's a shocker. Uh, and so that tends to play out. And that's what we were worried about. The multiples were relatively expensive um, at that point. And Sonic, as good as it is, uh, when things go south, it's a sector thematic. And so we got out of that and it's come back. Um, Sonic is actually starting to look interesting again. And so is uh, Clinical Labs. I actually think, again, this is what I like about it because most people, uh, you know, the market, when they throw out, they start to panic and then it becomes a herd mentality and then everyone wants to get out. Uh, I mean, CSL is getting hammered on, on the weight loss drug for the love of God. Uh, but anyway, um, I, I, don't, I don't mind it because every couple of years you get these opportunities uh, in CSL. And in overall, we're seeing the first time healthcare sector has actually come back as a sector level uh, that we have not seen in since 2015. Yeah. Um, so in that context, you're seeing some decent pullback. So there's great opportunities. Um, never miss a good crisis. Right. I love this crisis. So, okay, so is this an ugly buy? I would be a buyer. I would be a buyer. Oh. I, I would look at Sonic as well, um, and I would be buying here on a long-term view. And we got out of Sonic in the middle of the year. It's come back. It looks pretty good now. Um, okay. So I would be, I'd be a buyer on Okay, and another ugly buy. All right, let's recap the uh, first five stocks. Kogan and No, a pass from both uh, uh, Maitland and Michael. Uh, Coronado um, and Stanmore, a No from both. Take your profits on, on both of those. Uh, Mathan prefers Whitehaven and New Hope. So in the thermal coal area as part of his energy play and energy thematic. Data 3, a hold from both. Ansel, a hold from Michael, an ugly buy from Mathan. Australian Clinical Labs, a sell from uh, Michael and an ugly buy again from Mathan. Here on the call, we've been tracking our own high conviction fantasy fund as picked by the Investment Committee. Uh, November committee meeting is up next Tuesday. You can watch the last committee meeting, the October one, um, on the platform at the moment. Avita Medical taken out. It's waiting distributed between Solpats, Altium, uh, and 1% was taken out of each of Croom, ProMedicus, and Paladin. Another 1% of cash added and Camplifier was actually put in and uh, the fund up 3% at the moment. All right, uh, this half hour, we're going to take a look at IDP Education, Medibank, Region Re, uh, Medical Developments, International, and New Farm. Uh, Michael, Paul wants a view on IDP Education, the big English language testing business for international students that come into our unis. So this is a business we've held for a long time. Uh, we've missed the peak, but it's come back a long way and we still continue to like it. Um, it's got the English language testing side of the business and that's only really a smaller part of the business. The main growth driver for this company is a student placement business where they take students from places like India, um, other Southeast Asian countries and place them in English speaking um, universities. Um, so very high quality company. Its margins are the highest they've ever been. Their earnings per share has the highest it's ever been. Gross profit as well. Um, nevertheless, despite that, the share price is probably down 50% from the highs. 
Um, the big concern that people have is that it's losing its dominant position or its monopoly position for the English language testing services in some countries. First mm -hmm. of all, that occurred in the UK where they lost about 10% of the market share. Um, then they had an announcement that the same thing had happened in Canada, where Canada was opening up the testing services to other companies to get involved. So if we assume, it's too early to work out how much market share they've lost in Canada, but if we assume that they lose 10% like they did in the UK um, of their market share, then that's about a 2% effect on earnings. The market has taken that and sort of run with it. That was the, the sort of first of what's really set the company back around sort of middle of 2022 last year. Um, had a very good update in August, had a bit of a pop off the back of that, but has since retraced from those levels. We have it as a, a buy at the moment. I think mm. we can find some support around here. We still like the story. If you look at some of the, the volumes coming through in the, in the student placement business, it's, it's very, very strong. And some of those growth numbers, you know, in the vicinity of 142% in some of those placement businesses looking at revenues. Because so the unis, major unis still have a decent shareholding and it does a lot less right. than pre-COVID. They, they sold a bit when they needed, needed yeah. the cash during originally, COVID. Yeah, originally it was held all in one association. So right. they all acted as one collective and they did a big sell down a few years ago. Then what happened was the association was disbanded and each individual uni received oh, their right. personal share right. in that English language testing system. And now it's up to them to decide when they want right. to sell, if they want okay. to sell. And a lot of them did during COVID. And, yeah. But a lot of that major overhang is now gone from the stock. Right. There is obviously a few of those universities still invested, but it's not to the same degree as it was. Okay. Uh, Nathan, what do you think of IDP? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those classic examples of when you have a great cycle, businesses look really high quality. And when the cycle turns, they look low quality. And um, I think IDP was in a great position. Uh, they were owned by, mostly owned by universities who were their customers. And so it was a great business model. It's like uh, fund managers owned by banks. Uh, mm -hmm. Once they sell them, they're not doing so well. Um, so in that context, there is a, you know, there's a leading indicator when Unis were selling out of their stock. You needed to worry. Um, the Canada one was quite interesting. They had four entrants, four competitors come in. And what the worry there is, uh, how much they're going to take from them. And on the flip side, that obviously that creates um, competition, margin pressure. And what, what you get in Canada can easily be translated into the US and that can potentially come into Australia as well. So competition, the moat that they had where they were unique, uh, and they had the dominant market share, is not in, in play. This is a high growth stock. The market price is in a pretty high multiple, even now. So in that context, um, they they were paying for that uniqueness. They were paying for that moat. Uh, and the investors now don't see that moat. So there's the risk. Um, so it's hard for me to work out how do you value a stock, because this is a growth stock that doesn't have the moat that it used to have. Now there is competition. It's just too hard. Um, I actually don't know how to value this stock. I think Michael's right. The numbers are improving. It should do well. Um, I mean, look at Treasury Wine. The business model is supposed to do well when China reopens. Okay. Potentially, we're reopening, but nobody's buying Treasury Wine. So in that context, I think once you're out of that cycle, competition turns up, things change. So it'll be interesting to see. So I'm keeping an open mind. I'll keep, an, um, keep it on the watch. But I'm not jumping into IDP at this point. I'm, I'm just want to see how it plays out over the next six okay, months. Okay, if you rent it, do you hold it or? Yeah, psychological. You're down fifty percent. You're going to hold. Okay, uh, it's people just don't dump those stocks after fifty percent. Right. Would you dump it? Uh, logically speaking, um, I probably will hold it in the short term. And right. if the I think the market's going to have a pullback. When it does, I'll dump it and move okay. because there's opportunities coming. All right. Um, our next stock, uh, Nathan Naomi, wants a view on Medibank, the uh, big private health insurer. Yeah, I mean, it's outperformed NHB, NHF, sorry. Uh, usually we tend to think of it the other way. Um, yes, premiums have gone up um, in the insurance sector, uh, as we were talking about before. Insurance sectors are good in inflationary environment, um, they've got that hedge. Um, but this is not a great sector because nobody can really, really pull out because they have to balance out the risk. So they pay each other to balance out the industry. 
Um, so in that context, you're never going to get someone just killing it. So um, it's it's good to look at when it's cheap, when the thematic works. I think that's relatively well priced in. Um, so if you're there, it's okay. I think the sector holds up. My worry would be with health insurance is that how much of it is cyclical, how much of it is going to be affected by consumer spending. Um, people, will people start to cancel? But I guess um, we you do have the the government incentive to stay in your health insurance, private health insurance. But the likelihood is people will downgrade. Um, that probably helps Medibank. So I would say if you're there, it's a good hold. Uh, but I would not be putting fresh money. I don't think it's mm. cheap. Um, I think it's a tough sector uh, because you don't have the freebie to run away. But the the likely scenario because of the tax incentive is to downgrade your uh, policy. So that kind of helps Medibank. Okay. Um, what do you reckon, Michael? Um, a lot of analysts like NIB in this in this sector. Yeah, that's historically been the better one because it's been actually growing its um, user base. Um, whereas Medibank's had a much tougher time of that and actually has lost market share in recent years. But that has since started to show signs of reversing. And for the first time in a long time, they're starting to actually win back and see some decent subscriber growth. Yep. Um, the thing with also these health insurers is it's a you know, double-edged sword. On one hand, inflation should be good for their premium growth, but if they increase premiums too high, people simply can't afford it and they leave or downgrade policies. They have been lucky that, you know, rising interest rate environment has helped their investment returns significantly, giving them um, a bit of leeway for the first time in a long time, 10, 15 years, almost 20 years. So that is also a positive tailwind for them, not only at the moment, but probably going forward for the foreseeable future. It's unlikely rates are going to reverse and, and go back down to where they were. They've also seen a favourable claims environment for whatever reason, and this is across the industry, that claims have been quite mm. benign coming no, out. No, we're healthier. COVID. That's what it seems like at the moment. So all those things have been fairly good for them. And the fact is they... Um, came out with a decent report in August, which sort of was a lot better than many of their peers, better margin growth, better user growth um, than the market was expecting. That's probably helped support Mm. them as well. But they're not high growth businesses by any means. Um, They do have inherent customers at all times, but it is a fairly competitive space. So I'm going to go a hold just because I don't think it's going to you know, crater, but if in my portfolio, I wouldn't hold it because I'll be focusing a bit right. more on growth. But in this environment, it's probably going to hold up an end for you. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, is that? And uh, governments always inter- interfere with their yeah, premium that's increases. Also the problem. They just had one on the 1st of October, though, a lot of them. That's another uh, thing. Revenues are somewhat capped by what government says, and you've got all these costs below the surface of running yeah. your your business so it can be difficult at times when you get squeezed okay all right uh next talk um michael jackie wants a view on region re the old shopping centers australasia property group a reit uh in commercial so shopping centers but sort of basically regional areas and and suburban um strip shopping or something yeah so i think 40 percent of their tenants are coles and woolworths yep so they're the anchor tenants and around that um, they then get all these specialty tenants and they've got, you know, a, a decent chunk of those specialty tenants are non-discretionary. So if you think about banks, you know, bank tellers and if you think about medical clinics, those sorts of things. But often how these projects work or these centres work is they'll use a lot of floor space and, and the, the dollars that they receive per square metre of floor space is actually very low for Woolworths and Coles supermarkets, but then they'll charge higher rents to those anchor ten- or those specialty tenants that want to be anchored by the Coles or the Woolworths. It's a, it's a, look, very tough environment at the moment given the correction that we're seeing in interest rates and what that means for the required cap rates on property. But this particular business is of high quality. Um, it's gearing is about 30% like most of them are. They have identified, I think, 10 or 20 properties which they're looking to sell off. Uh, that way they can reduce their Ooh. debt significantly. That'll be interesting um, to see on that's got a few people excited. <laughs> yeah, but it's got people excited. They don't have to have the servicing costs and all those sorts ah. of things. Um, but look, for mine, I think it's too early to jump into the REIT space. I think at some point there'll be an opportunity, but at the moment, given what yeah. we're seeing with inflation, interest rates are too early. Yeah. So you've got to well, sell on it. So, Nathan? Yeah, REITs is the only sector after the GFC never actually went past the pre-GFC high. Um, because when things go to uh, south, 
They have to raise money to stay alive. They're highly geared. Um, so there is risk. Uh, and the market sold it down, you know, almost all of them, even the good ones, uh, for the right reason. Uh, it, it is tough. Um, it, and in this and re- I mean, REITs and retail having their big underperformance from day one in this bear market and for the right reason. Um, they are, then hence you get the opportunity. Uh, and Michael's right. It's too early to jump in. Uh, but it does throw up pretty good. I mean, this is not a bad stock. This has got pretty good clients, but I think some of those um, smaller clients are in trouble. A lot of shopping centers that I know, um, a lot of those small stores have not paid rent for at least a year. Um, So they're not on the books. So at some point, these things will um, recalibrate. Um, So I'm waiting for that calibration to play out uh, for the opportunities to open up. But yeah, I'm not going in because I don't believe the numbers. I think the REIT sector will have a bit of a uh, you know, reality check. And when that happens, I will uh, okay. look at it. All right. Uh, S. Warren wants a view on medical developments international. S. Warren says last time Nathan discussed the stock, it's pretty bullish. It's been down since then. Any updates? Nathan, are you still bullish? S. Warren wants to know. Of course, it's the pharmaceutical business. The green whistle pain relief Pentrox product is sort of what it's best known for, but it's got um, a few others in the portfolio as well. Yeah, look, it's, it's, I'll start with saying it's high risk. It's a biotech, so you know I'm going to buy it. Um, and the Green Whistle is a great product. It answers a lot of questions, but it has been shockingly managed. Uh, I mean, the whole thing is forget what they're doing everywhere else. It's all about the US. If yep. they get FDA approval, uh, this stock goes 10 and, times. And in July or June there, that peak, there was an announcement about that, wasn't there? That they were right. they were able to reapply for FDA approval and everyone got excited. Yeah, and then nothing came out about it and the stocks come back yeah. and hence the opportunity. Now, this is a stock that you're going into, as with most uh, biotech stocks, you could potentially lose all your money. Uh, so... You have to remember that kind of risk. But the upside is, you know, when people say, oh, is there a 10, 10 bagger? This is a potential 10 bagger. Now, right. that just comes down to FDA approval. They've got new people, uh, management, looking at that process, trying to do it better. Uh, the, ma- the market has zero trust on management because of um, historical track record. And I accept that. Um, it is, you know, if you, you're not going to pick a 10 bagger without risk. But they have a product that is used around the world and doesn't have any side effects, and it actually works. So you're getting something, and in the US, they have huge issues with opioid um, and pain relievers. So in that context, this answers that question. But can they get the FDA approval? You would think they can, but it hasn't happened. So I'm not going to sit there and pick a guess date for it. But if you've got a bit of money and you're willing to take high risk, I would put a bit of money in it and see how it plays out. Because if... If one day it comes out and says we've got the approval uh, with new management doing new things, this is a potential 10 bagger. So it's high okay. risk for the high return. So I'm still positive for the high risk. Okay, Michael? It's one that I've looked at and monitored you know, for years and years and never quite pulled the trigger, thankfully, because it's been a, a torrid ride for shareholders. But it's something that you know you see on the footy, someone gets injured, they get yeah, the yeah. green whistle out. In ambulances. Um, and it makes well, a lot of sense. Yeah. And then you think, well, why haven't they ever been able to crack the US? And it's a difficult question to answer. They've cracked places like France, where they're seeing yeah. some very good increases in unit growth um, and revenues. Um, Australia, the business continues to do fairly well. They took back control of the distribution a couple of years ago, where they'll you know, go to people like the ambulances and hospitals direct. Um, yeah. And when they go to smaller businesses at a higher touch point, such as your GPs and dentists or whatever, they'll outsource the distribution. That gave them a bit more control over the business, helped them increase margins. Um, but yeah, as, as Nathan said, it's all about the US. Right. And for now, we're just uncertain as to how that will end. But you can see it definitely working in the US. There's no reason why they couldn't use it in the sports and, and they couldn't use it right. in clinics, etc. What do you reckon? I'm going to go a hold, speculative Oh, hold. a speculative hold. <laughs> <laughs> because it could just keep trailing away. I mean, I thought it, when it was $4 and it went to All right. you know, $2. It's All right, a speak hold. <laughs> we go from a high-risk buy to a speak hold. Just don't expect you're going to get all your money back if you hold it. <laughs> well, I know, Wayne, that's what Wayne, makes it. 
to when it comes to biotechs, it takes ten years to have an overnight success. So yeah, yeah. Someone's right. got to pay for them to burn their cash. Okay. All right. A final stock that we've got to whip through a bit, Michael, uh, is New Farm, um, which is basically like a big seed bank, bank of seeds or something. Yeah, for farmers. Um, that's that's right. And the last few years have been great for the farmers. All of a sudden, it's turned tough, which I think is just symptomatic of the industry that they're in. New Farm is. A decent quality company. They do have some clinical trial type studies, if you like, going on for an Amiga product, um, which could be, you know, could be a big growth kicker for them. But I struggle to get too excited about the business, just given the environment that we're in um, and the cyclicality of agribusiness stocks in general. So right. go and sell on this, uh, Nathan. This is in your yeah, your food it's- thematic. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been in New Farm before. Uh, when it ran up, we actually uh, took money out of that because it's probably the least quality out of the three. We right. like Instead okay. Pivot and Elders. Um, and I think uh, Michael's right. The weather issue is what is spooking the market. I mean, that's welcome to agriculture. Um, so <laughs> I think in the short term, that's going to be playing hard. I think Elders and Instead Pivot are better plays. Right. Um, so I'm staying out of this one for now. But the agriculture sector thematic uh, will play out, and the weather on the other side means that supply would be low, prices would be high, and the sector should run back. That's the cyclicality. So, okay. um, you know, when it looks ugly, that's when you buy. It's ugly. So keep an eye out, but I prefer elders and instead with it. Okay. All right. Let's recap the uh, the final five stocks. IDP a hold from Nathan, a buy from Michael, Medibank a hold from both, um, region read the old shopping centers Australia uh, and know from both itself from Michael in fact um, medical developments um, a high risk buy from Nathan um, a speculative hold from Michael and uh, new farm <laughs> is uh, a sell from Michael uh, a no from Nathan prefers Incitec pivot and elders in the egg space Nathan Thomas and Darren great to see you mate thank you for that appreciate your time. No problem. And uh, the speculative holder, Michael Way from Madaya. <laughs> Mate, thank, thanks for joining us. Great. <laughs> Just what I wanted for today's show. Oh, that's uh, terrific to have these two on the panel today. Uh, it is always great fun and a lot of great information. So, really appreciate it. Uh, if you've got any socks you'd like us to cover here on the call for me to put to our expert panel, uh, go to osbiz.co slash callpicks or tweet us using the at TV handle. And comments and questions to the stocks as well. We love those. Uh, Stick around. The Pulse is next.